0: Welcome back to Frank Friar Fridays. This is Father Patrick broadcasting from St. Dominic Priory in St. Louis, Missouri. I think we're on episode 23 and today we're going to begin in this year of St. Joseph with a prayer to St. Joseph. O oh, Most Loving Father, Ward off from us every contagion of error and corrupting influence. A most holy, mighty protector, be kind to us. And from heaven, assist us in our struggle with the power of darkness. As once you rescued the child Jesus from deadly peril, so now protect God's holy church from the snares of the enemy and from all adversity. Shield to each one of us by your constant protection so that supported by your example and your aid, we may be able to live piously to die in holiness and to obtain eternal happiness in heaven. Amen. You know, as I said today, this year is the year of St. Joseph. It's a little confusing because I think it's already begun in the universal church, but here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, it's not actually beginning until the Feast of St. Joseph on March the 19th. I'm going to talk a little bit about my own brother Joseph a little just in a few moments but my family had a great devotion to Saint Joseph. My mother was named Josephine. My grandfather was named Joseph. My brother was named Joseph. I had smatterings of cousins and uncles and aunts all named after Joseph. I don't know if that means we have a devotion to him or a lack of imagination but anyway we I I can't help but uh, in this year of St. Joseph, think often of my brother and my mother too, whose name was Josephine, but you know, I never called her Josephine. I always called her mom. So I'm going to pick up where we left off and backtrack just a little bit because as I'm entering religious life, one of the things that I had to do was to let go of my previous life. And I mentioned that in the last episode. And it was you know, it was complicated in a way, but it was also very freeing. I've preached about the experience that I had when I first moved to Chicago. And I had had a house that I rented out in Springfield. And so I left some things there, but I, I brought things with me, of course. And I move into this rather spacious apartment as things go in Chicago. And I was just stunned at all the stuff I had accumulated over the years, boxes and boxes. You couldn't see the apartment. There were so many boxes in it. They had left a little path for me and Humphrey to make our way through as we unpack things. But I came to this stark realization. Now, this is two, three years before I experienced a call to, to religious life that I had had too much stuff, and it was weighing me down. All this stuff that I had bought things that I found that had had not even been unwrapped clothes and books and CDs and all kinds of things that I'm like what am I what am I doing collecting all this and it and it becomes a burden I mean I remember and I again I, pre- I preached about this when I was deciding to move from Springfield to Chicago one of the things that slowed me down was how how do I bring all this stuff and do I really want to move it all? So I had to start discarding it. And some some stuff I sell, sold, I had paintings that I, I sold, I gave away a lot of the artwork that I had, clothes and things I just started giving away. And, it, and the amazing thing was, is through the grace of God, it wasn't difficult. In fact, it was quite the opposite. It was very freeing to get rid of all this stuff. And I started doing that before I had the call to religious life because I just felt all these things were burdening me. So when they told me that I had to get rid of these things, I I had already started in a a serious way. And I'm having a sip of coffee. The um, second apartment I had, by that point I had already uh, disposed of a lot of the things I had. Some of it I gave to my brother, Michael, who was just setting up a, a new place in Oak Park. But I'll tell you, the one thing that was much more complicated, it was having to uh, let go of Humphrey, my dog. And I had several offers. It's interesting, when I was telling people I felt called a religious life, the first thing they would say is, Oh, m- almost all of them, with the ex- exception of David Ormsby, who I mentioned last week. They say, "Oh my goodness, that's so wonderful!" And what are you going to do with Humphrey? It was like very a lot. A lot of people were very attached to my dog, as I was. You know, and I never realized how attached I was to him until I had to give him away. And I had he had lots of offers of good homes, and I finally decided to. Send him off to some dear friends in Washington D.C. and United Airlines, and I suspect other other airlines do this too. They have a special section at O'Hare just for transporting pets, and they have a flight attendant there that helps you with your your departure, my my dog's departure, and I had to ship him in a crate, and. I would have never guessed I would respond this way because I never—I always thought people were too attached to their pets. But boy, after having lived with him for several years and having—and cocker spaniels are super high maintenance. uh, All the things you have to do to take care of them—their ears, their 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 allergies, and getting groomed. I uh, this flight attendant came over and she gave me. She gave me a box of Kleenex and she said, "Now you take your time," and I just, I just, I burst out, la- out crying. I, I just would have never guessed it when I said goodbye to, to, to Humphrey, thinking I was never going to see him again. It turns out I did get to see him one more time, but so that was the hardest part, really, of all the things I had to give away. The the material things that was that was not so hard, but but Humphrey was. And so I'm, I'm you know we had a pre in in Memphis that was six weeks and, and it was it was a, uh, I, I think a good way to start religious life. We were none of us professed. There was a, a big group from the Southern province, my group from the central province. We were there for six weeks and we learned a lot about the, the uh, order and a lot about one another. And uh, it was more like summer camp than anything. There was nothing, there was a drudgery about it at all. It was hot and and humid in Memphis, but there was a lot of fun that we had playing volleyball every day and there's a a pool and and studying and praying together. I, I loved it. It could have gone on for longer than six weeks. Denver was another story as far as I was concerned. I used to go to Denver on business when I was working for Governor Thompson and Governor Lamb, I think it was, was governor of of, uh, Colorado. And I was on a committee that he chaired. And so I'd have to go out there on a regular basis. And I thought downtown Denver was a dump. And I had not been there in 15 years. And boy, had it gone through a transformation. And it was lovely being there and the weather. You know, and I had always gone in for just a couple of days and I was going to live there for exactly one year and one day and this spectacular weather. It was a very dry year that year but it only had 3% of the normal rainfall. Uh, and they um, they uh, would complain about that, of course, but, you know, I I I liked that it didn't rain. The novitiate experience was At that point in my life, I would have said it was one of the best years of my life because we we went to bed early, we woke up early, we had all kinds of time to read and reflect, studied about the order again and got to know one another, got to know what this life was going to be like. The people in Denver were wonderful. I just thought it was going to be something I would have to put up with for a year, and I and I grew to love it very much. Now there there were challenges. 9/11 occurred when we were there. We were we arrived in at the beginning of August, and in September 11th, this tragedy occurs, and that certainly cast a pall on the the year. The the way that our country responded was a, a. challenging time for religious. You know, is that the way that we that we are to respond as a country with violence wreaking more violence and that challenge? But then also the scandal in Boston broke. And I more than once thought about what the heck have I done? I've, I've given up everything to enter into this religious life. And is it really what I should be doing. And I think that what I, what I came away with that, reflecting on this on really almost a daily basis was the church needed men and women more than ever to dedicate their lives to this institution with all of its imperfections and with, with people who are People who fail, and and people who use their power in ways that was inappropriate. It doesn't mean that we abandon it. This this gift that Jesus has given us. It means that we have to do even more to to bring it back on the path to which which Jesus had set it. So, I think if anything, this this scandal in Boston and other things that came up. Made my decision even stronger that I was, you know, I had waited a long time to answer my call to religious life, and that it was, in whatever way I could contribute to this institution, I was going to do that, and so we, w- this this uh, novitiate year was a very blessed time. I, you know, I listened to brothers who, who. All, we all experienced more or less the same thing, but they boy, they just couldn't wait for it to end. And I didn't want it to end. I Gosh, what a great life that was to, for me, it fit my style. Michael Kite, my, my beloved novice master, he and I are very close in age. I think I'm a year older than him. And we never could be friends and, uh, because of the, this sort of, you know, he's novice master, I'm a novice. We eventually became very, very close friends, but he was a saving grace through it all and helped me and guided me and counseled me about using that year as a way to grow closer to God. Even though I felt uh, a, a, a strong connection to my novice brothers, they were all old enough to be my children. And it didn't bother me. I don't know if it bothered them, but it was that age difference is, is stark. In fact, while I was a novice. I turned 50, and we had this, you know, the way we celebrated birthday was the same for everybody. No matter what what age you were, we would go for breakfast at this Mexican restaurant down the street, and that was it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm used to big parties and celebrations and realized, well, you know, Patrick, this is a good, a good uh, experience of humility. But God bless Shannon Robinson, who's one of the benefactors of our order, and She and I became friends and are still friends. And she took me out to lunch that day, and she made a celebration of it. And I'll forever be grateful for Shannon for all she did. And March is when we have an opportunity to go on what's called a home visit, I think, for a couple weeks. So it was close to my birthday, though, that I did go home, and I got to spend it with my brother Joseph. And we celebrated in a way uh, because, of course, we share our birthday Joseph and I—I I haven't talked a lot about my brothers. Joseph, Joseph and I were very close. We got—we were, of course, extraordinarily close as children. Uh, he was my first playmate, and when we started school, though, is when we sort of went our separate ways—not in anger or any sort of ill feelings, but you just developed different friends, and then we went to different colleges. And when we graduated, though, I think we is when we saw a real turn in our relationship where we became real very close again but joseph had a serious drinking problem now i had at that point been sober for about 12 years and uh, joseph was continuing to de- to decline and i i was very sad about the inability that I had to change that and that's the way the world is. It doesn't matter whether I'm sober 12 years or two years or 12 days. There's nothing I can do if Joseph doesn't or any alcoholic doesn't want it themselves. So he was really in the depths of his disease when I got to see him in March. Then we went on a tour, loved it. it was a wonderful uh, tour of our f- our province to see all the various things that we do. That's towards the end of our time there, in in Denver. And we spent, I think it was, certainly it was a month, and maybe even have been a little bit over. And again, I hear my my brothers here who've had the everyone has the tour uh, experience. They didn't do it uh, last year, of course, because of COVID, but. Again, it was I loved it. And to see all the various things that the men of my province are involved in, all the different kinds of ministries, I, I left that and my mind was sort of swimming. I was like, oh, the pot, what will I do? You know It's like there's so many things that I could do uh, once God willing, I was ordained. So then we had our, our profession, which is always in, in August, our simple profession in Denver. Beautiful ceremony, surrounded by all these lovely people in the Denver community that had come to know and quite candidly to love. They are so supportive of the young men as they experience their first year in religious life. My mother came out with my oldest brother Michael. Joseph was supposed to come out and had had this episode. He had. He had kind of gone on a bender I guess but such a severe one that he ended up in the hospital. My mother and brother came out fully expecting that he would recover and they would be able to put him into um, rehab. So they came out. I was and I had some great friends come out for my simple vows. Eric and Finbar and Sheila and Jimmy Morgan. Alan Johnson came over from California. It was just a beautiful celebration. Then we drove back and then we immediately go on retreat. All the student brothers, so now we're combined with the, the old, our upperclassmen that are here and the um, brothers that are coming from the Southern Province. And we go on retreat immediately and it's in a place called Il Retiro, which is out in the countryside in uh, Missouri. And I let them know, the, the retreat director's name was Joseph as well, that my brother was sick and someone might call just to give me an update. And on the very last day, in the very last hour they were there, I see this, this Franciscan brother, Joe, coming up. Up to me and I knew what he was going to say before he said it and he came to tell me that my brother had died and I I don't I don't know that I'll ever forget that moment I was very very sad I was I of course went home to be with my mother my mother had just buried my father the year before, not a little bit over a year, so it was very devastating for her. And came back, and so I, you know, back in studies for the first time in decades, and now I'm in studies again, and I'm already two weeks behind, and I throw myself into my studies and neglect everything else. I neglect my prayer life. I neglect neglect the the the. Um, community life, and I I came very close to leaving. Thanks be to God, Michael Mascari, who I'm living with again, who ended up being my provincial and was my student master, saw that that I was experiencing some real difficulties, and he said, he pulled me aside, he said, listen, you're not here to be formed as a student, you're here to be formed as a priest. So... Whatever grade you get, you're going to do fine. A B is a very good grade. Don't worry about getting A's. Just do your best. And it was it was the best thing he could have said. And I redirected myself and got balance back into my life so that I could continue to 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 go forward and to actually do better than I deserved. Uh, of course, I missed Joseph and. We'll never forget the wonderful times we had. So that's it for this week. Uh, God bless you all. Wonderful to be with you. See you next time.